This is MSU Today on WKAR News Talk. Here's Arnold Weinfeld. Welcome to State of the State, the monthly roundup of policy and research for the state of Michigan, brought to you by the Institute of Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University and our friends here at WKAR Studios. I'm Arnold Weinfeld, Associate Director for the Institute. I'm joined as always by MSU economist and director of our State of the State survey, Dr. Charlie Ballard. Welcome again, Charlie. Good to be with you, Arnold. Well, once again, Charlie, there is no shortage of discussion regarding our two favorite topics, politics and the economy. We've got uh, less than 60 days to go before the election. Uh, Democratic presidential hopeful Joe Biden continues to hold the lead over President Trump, both here in Michigan and national polling. Uh, The economy, once thought to be in the worst shape ever, and predicted to get even worse, has seemingly rebounded over the summer. But uh, with fall and winter on the way, uh, will another rise in cases result in a fall of the economy? So we'll be talking about that today. Later on, we'll be joined by two guests, Susie Avery and Steve Tabachman, who serve as co-directors of the Michigan Political Leadership Program here at IPSER at MSU. All right, Charlie, let's let's get into it. As I noted, uh, Democratic presidential hopeful Joe Biden continues to hold that lead, but I saw this morning it's shrinking. Uh, what are your thoughts as to what's going on out there? Well, um, certainly uh, the the coronavirus is is a very big uh, topic in the election this year, and um, the country seems to be divided on that, as it seems to be divided on so many other things. Uh, 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 Biden's appearances, just about everybody is wearing a mask. Uh, Trump's rallies, almost nobody is wearing a mask. Um, And uh, so I think the the Biden camp is is, uh, playing hard on the, uh, uh, what they consider to be the mismanagement of the coronavirus uh, uh, crisis by uh, President Trump. Um, Trump seems to be uh, putting his campaign on a, uh, a law and order emphasis, uh, sort of reminds me of 1968 when both Richard Nixon, who won that election, and George Wallace were talking a lot about uh, a law and order. Um, most of the polls show Biden somewhat ahead, uh, but not necessarily far enough ahead to win the election, as we know, in 2016. Um, Hillary Clinton got almost three million more votes than Donald Trump, but this is the the president of the United States is the only election in the world where the person who gets the most votes is not guaranteed to be the winner. And we have to go through the Electoral College. And so there's a lot of focus on a, a small number of key states, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona. That seems to be the consensus is that those are the, the states that will determine the outcome of this, this election. And so the president has lately been focusing on law and order, but of course, another big uh, issue for him that he likes to tout is the economy. And, uh, you know, back, uh, back in May and April, it really seemed back then that the economy was just headed for the doldrums for a long period of time. And uh, over the summer, we've, we, we, we've experienced a bit of an uptick. Unemployment is down. Uh, revenues in the state are higher. We've, we've revised once again our uh, budget estimates uh, for, for the coming year. And uh, while there are cuts to be made, 
they're not as deep as once thought. What, what, what's, what's going on here? Well, uh, so the economy really shut down uh, quite severely in April. April, by many measures, was the worst single month in the history of the United States economy. Um, and it, it almost had to be because so many businesses were closed. Um, because April, remember, April was a time when we were losing 2,500 people a day uh, uh, to the coronavirus. Uh, that uh, shutdown succeeded in uh, slowing down the virus, not stopping it entirely. Uh, we still have a very serious pandemic going on, but it slowed it down and we were able to, to open up a little bit. Um, and so the, the economy has gone from um, disastrous in April to, uh, I, I would still say, quite troubled now. Um, the last uh, jobs reports still had millions more Americans out of work than were out of work in, in February, and millions have lost their health insurance during a pandemic. But um, it, we have limped back closer to normal. Um, however, most of the uh, predictions that I have seen say we're not really likely to get back all the way back to normal, whatever that will be, until sometime about a year from now or maybe even longer than that because it will we won't fully get back to normal until enough people have been vaccinated that people feel real relatively safe about um substantial gatherings in person we can't get all the way back to normal until that happens yeah and i think it's safe to say that our economy and the world of work uh will not look the same even when we get back to normal. I mean, there are jobs that once again are gone forever. Um, and, uh, you know, more automation. Uh, what have you been reading about that? Well, the, the new normal will not be the old normal. There's no question about it. And, and certainly one, one thing that I have seen, lots of businesses have found and lots of workers have found that they can get the job done um, even if there's remote work. Uh, I'm on the board of a couple of nonprofits where people used to come into the office every day. That's not happening now, and yet things are more or less getting done. Mm -hmm. And a lot of employees, now if you have small children to take care of, it's a very difficult situation. But a lot of employees and a lot of employers are thinking, um, gosh, we don't have to have all this office space. We don't have to have people commute long distances into work every day. And what I think that will mean is um, there will be a lot less, uh, let me put it this way, commercial real estate is not a great investment right now because office space, I think a lot of places are going to be looking to get out of their lease they're going to downsize. They're going to have a smaller office space. Maybe people will come into the office two days a week, uh, that sort of thing. And so the the normal that we find in 2022, when we when we get there, will be notably different in many ways. Um, also, there are a lot of people who had never shopped online before, and now they've been forced to shop online, and they thought, oh gosh, that that kind of works okay. I think this will accelerate the long-term trend away from brick and mortar retailing. Yeah. Yeah. It's or, interesting. I read it. I, I read an article the other day 
about uh, a different kind of definition for dark stores. So we've heard that definition or that term before here in Michigan uh, to describe when a uh, big box store uh, moves on and the store comes dark and then they ask for uh, tax relief. Um, but a new kind of dark store in the retail industry apparently is one where you will order online and go pick it up at that particular location. Uh, so you won't necessarily do your shopping there, but you'll still be able to pick up your clothing, your shoes, whatever you have ordered from that particular storefront. And you might, you might be able to uh, order from there too, but it's more like a smaller warehouse that the public could go and pick up their, uh, their goods from. So um, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think we have a long ways to go to see how this shakes out, especially in retail. Uh, one thing you did mention just a moment ago, uh, and we were talking about is the world of work. And uh, you know, you're still a faculty member here at Michigan State University, uh, still teaching. Um, and it might be interesting for our audience to understand some of the complexities and challenges that uh, you as a faculty member are facing in teaching class. Uh, I'm sure there might be some listeners with uh, some students up at our university or others across the state. Uh, can you talk for a moment about uh, what the experience is like so far? Yeah, so I am this fall, I'm teaching two large sections of the introductory microeconomics course, a course taken by more students than any other course at Michigan State. So I've got about uh, 1100 more than 1100 students on my class list just as I've had in the fall semester for many years um, uh, six months ago I was planning that I would teach two consecutive classes in a big auditorium in Wells Hall in person then um, I was scheduled to teach what's called synchronous online that is I was going to be uh, online but at the regularly scheduled time in the early and middle part of the afternoon on Monday, Wednesday and, Wednesday and Friday. Then I finally decided to go to what we call asynchronous. And a big reason for that is because the students are not all in East Lansing, I have students in China, in Vietnam, in Korea. Um, those are 12 time zones away. And so if we were to teach live synchronous, I would be essentially requiring my students to be there um, in class at, at 2.30 in the morning. And uh, well, I was a student once. I know that uh, students like to stay up late, but not necessarily uh, to go to class at two in the morning. So I, I went asynchronous. And what that means is I, I do have um, real-time office hours on by Zoom, but the lectures, I'm I have a little studio in my basement and I'm recording lectures putting them up on the learning management system on, online, and then students can view those at, at their leisure. And then um, I have, I am sending the students lots of email messages to try to keep them well informed about what's going on. It's a very different format. Um, I, I, I was glad yesterday when four students came to my Zoom office hours because I got to see them in person. And that's one thing that I miss this semester is not being able to see my students look them in the eye. Right, right, right. So, so definitely a challenge. And, uh, you know, 
not unlike, I'm sure, the experiences of other faculty members at Michigan State University and other universities, or even teachers in, in the K-12 system. Uh, just a, a real challenge. Uh, a real challenge, especially for K-12 through uh, in, in the lower grades, because the challenges of remote learning for kindergartners, first, first graders, second graders, uh, it, is a, it is a big challenge. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves as a society and say, we're, there will be children who didn't learn what they were supposed mm -hmm. to, and we're going to have to do, play some catch up in the coming years. Yeah, it, it, it will be interesting in the coming years to see who comes back to the public school system that may have gone to an online program, a separate online program, um, and where they're at. Uh, I mean, at some point in time, we're going to have to figure out where this group of students, especially in the younger grades, what they've been able to retain and learn uh, during this course of time. But you know, I, I, I try to remain hopeful. Uh, this is another episode in human history with, which shows our resiliency. Uh, and uh, I, I, I have every, no, no reason to doubt that we will uh, move forward uh, once, uh, once we get past uh, this episode, uh, both from an economic standpoint and a health standpoint, and hopefully uh, move, uh, take some strides towards equity uh, and equality in, in both of those areas. Well, I, I share your, your hopefulness, Arnold. Uh, Americans built the Empire State Building in 400 days during the midst of the Great Depression. If we can do that, we can do a lot of things if we set our mind to it. And I, I do believe that if we uh, um, really uh, put our nose to the grindstone, um, bright days can be ahead. Well, speaking of uh, putting our nose to the grindstone and uh, being resilient and moving forward, um, our next two guests are familiar with that as well. And uh, just so happened to run a program that for nearly three decades has worked to train the next generation of elected officials. And some of our listeners may indeed find their names familiar. Uh, Susie Avery and Steve Tabachman are co-chair of the Michigan Political Leadership Program. Susie has served as chair of the Michigan Republican Party, executive director of the Michigan Women's Commission, director in travel and tourism for the state of Michigan, along with serving as director of public affairs for Governor John Engler. She's also been an elected official as a Wayne County Commissioner and a Northville Township Supervisor. Steve Tabachman served in the Michigan House of Representatives for three consecutive two-year terms the maximum allowed under Michigan's term limit laws. He was elected majority floor leader, the second highest position in the Michigan House during his third term. Mr. DeBachman currently serves as the managing partner at New Solutions Group, LLC, and has become a national leader in the field of immigrant economic development, serving as the founder and director of Global Detroit and the Welcoming Economies. Welcome to the program, Susie and Steve. Thank you for, thanks for having us. We're honored to be with you. Well, Susie, Great let's to be start, here, Arnold. Thank you, Steve. Well, Susie, let's start with you. Uh, MPLP has been around since term limits was enacted in Michigan. Is that right? 
It is, and um, we call it MPLP. It stands for Michigan Political Leadership Program, but we have to shorten that at to an MPLP. You know, about 30 years ago, um, we uh, people in Michigan decided that it was time to have term limits, which they did. But people at MSU kind of looked at, well, wait a minute. Uh, before people were um, in the legislature, a lot was determined on seniority, like if you got to be head of a committee, if you got to be on, um, on different issues, and now it was going to be all different. So MSU decided maybe we should create a program to have a pipeline uh, for elected officials on both sides of the aisle um, to, uh, to, to help in terms of a lot of things that are going on in, in terms of Michigan and their um, and the Michigan legislature. And um, I turn it over to Steve now because he likes to talk about the, the three things that they decided way back 30 years ago uh, to concentrate on. So we really do owe our history to um, the wake of term limits. And the idea was to prepare the next generation of leaders, both on the local level across the state of Michigan, but also in our state legislature, uh, to be effective at governing. And so our curriculum is broken down into three pieces. One is, of course, campaigns and elections and how to get elected. Um, any political leadership program would have that. Um, a second piece is really about the policy issues facing the state of Michigan. We are a broad and diverse state. We have a wonderful agricultural sector. We have uh, some great rural communities. I live in uh, one of America's great urban cities, Detroit. We have uh, every issue that faces America is sort of uh, happens here in Michigan, and we have a very diverse citizenry. And so understanding the diverse needs and aspirations, but also how much we're united uh, in those aspirations and what people want in our state is part of the curriculum. And then the last is really uh, what is unique about our program. So there's lots of policy programs, there's lots of political leadership programs, but there are very few that do it in a bipartisan environment. And so for 30 classes now, over 27 years, we have put 12 Democrats and 12 Republicans together over a 10-month stretch where they really get to know each other, get to know each other's families, know each other's jobs, aspirations, and become lifelong friends and build friendships that can help them be effective at governing uh, when they get to the Michigan legislature or in their local community. Now, typically, and, and the, the leadership part of it is so interesting. We've had um, people um, with the 12 Republicans and 12 Democrats, um, we have found that um, you can have the most right-wing Republican with a left-wing Democrat, and they will find issues that they agree on. For instance, a couple years ago, we had that happen, and uh, we found these these two gentlemen. One was with a, a with a, a a place that would be considered rather right wing. The other one um, with a congresswoman who would be considered uh, left wing. And they found that they um, actually agreed on things like ethics, and unfortunately, um, also the Detroit Lions. But um, it it was um, it it's such an unusual program because it is not. Um, it is not with any political party. There's a lot of political parties. There's a lot of political things that go on. This is actually through a major university, Michigan State University, that we love. And um, it, it captures a lot of, of very interesting policy things, um, issues that people might not have 
heard of before. We had a, a great simulation that, that Steve will talk about a little bit, but we also handle ethics issues. We, we handle agricultural issues, MDOT issues of Michigan Department of Transportation. But I know Steve has a special, um, a, a special affinity for our, sim, our simulation that we have. Yeah, and, uh, and speaking of handling, Steve, you mentioned it's the 30th class and you usually do this over 10 months, one weekend a month uh, where you bring these folks together. How has the uh, pandemic uh, altered your structure and what's been the response of uh, this current class to that? So we had to move to remote learning like Michigan State University starting in March. So this class of fellows that we're completing in November um, really has only had one in-person weekend together. The rest have been uh, over Zoom calls. And um, uh, what we found is that um, we're still seeing the kinds of bonding. We're still seeing the kinds of learning that normal classes get. Of course, we're eager to return to in-person uh, and um but what we've done is uh, move to Zoom. We've done everything, as Susie said, from a policy two-day policy simulation. This year we uh, uh, simulated a piece of legislation on the mobility uh, uh, autonomous vehicles, and people had chat rooms and lobbied each other, and we had committee hearings and uh, a surprise gubernatorial veto of a bipartisan bill in that simulation. Um, but... Um, so we've adapted, just like uh, Michigan State University has, um, and we are doing it all online, and we hope to get back in, the per in person, and who knows the future, whether that will be for the 2021 class. Applications are due early October uh, so that we can have a class begin in February for 2021. We hope to meet in person then, but we just never know. And you are recruiting right now. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? You just mentioned that... Uh, applications are due in October for the 2021 class. How do, not only how does one apply, but what is the process? Uh, does anyone who apply get in? How does it work? Yeah, we typically get anywhere from 60 to 100 applicants for those 24 spots. Uh, and then we interview folks. There's a written application. It's pretty, pretty brief, has a couple of essays. Um, but after that, uh, we are interviewed by a bipartisan panel of our alums and supporters and Susie and I. And uh, from that, we will choose a class of 12 Democrats, 12 Republicans, 12 men, 12 women. Um, and it'll be diverse in every sense of the word. It'll have people um, uh, probably in their 50s, 60s, and maybe even 70s. It'll have people in their 20s. It'll have uh, racial diversity. It'll have um, sort of diversity of uh, profession uh, and diversity of viewpoint. And as we said, we take 12 Democrats, 12 Republicans. So I highly encourage people to apply. Um, sometimes because of the competitive nature, it can take a couple years of applying before one gets in. Um, but everyone who does, I mean, uh, by and large, almost everyone who's done the course says it's a, a life-forming uh, process and that they've built relationships that serve them for the rest of their life. And we do know that people who finish the program are, three, are twice as likely to run for office and three times as likely to win office um, based on some survey research we've done of those who have not gotten into the program and those who have gotten into the program. So, Is there a charge for the program? 
Do we? There is. There's a there's a fifteen hundred uh, one thousand five hundred dollar administrative fee. You know, it costs us close to fifteen thousand dollars per applicant to fund the program. We do that with our annual dinner coming up um, on October first, um, and uh, and uh, generous fundraising from corporations and foundations and Michigan State University, um, but a small portion of it is the administrative fee. As I said, $1,500. Um, there are scholarships available, um, so we've never turned anyone away uh, because they weren't able to pay the administrative fee. And Susie, Susie you noted the sessions. Um, I mean, we bring in some pretty top-notch people to talk to these folks, don't we? Yeah, we do. And um, just to finish Steve's uh, conversation, if you uh, to apply, we're under at Michigan State, we're under a program called which is a very long and important sounding title, uh, the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research, which we of course, they have got down to an acronym of, of IPSER. But in order to apply uh, to apply, and I'm going to say this twice, so people will get it. Um, if you just Google IPPSR, yes, that stands for that great big long title, I just said IPPSR.msu.edu, uh, and you will see right up there the MPLP, Michigan, another acronym, I'm sorry, Michigan Political Leadership Program, and, and the application process is right there, and, and how to do it, and, and we really encourage it. We have had, uh, Jocelyn Benson, who's our Secretary of State, is, is an alumnus of us, and um, we actually have people in our class and speakers who are who are incredible. I mean, we've had um, we usually have one thing of uh, Lansing lobbyists. We've had uh, very high-ranking people come in um, and talk to us. Not only we have congressmen coming in to talk to us. We have um, people from all departments. Um, people who are big in in industry in the auto industry. Presidents of corporations. Because you know why? They understand the importance of this program. They understand that of the almost 700 people we put through, over 450 have been elected to office. That is like, they wanna know these people and they want these people to know them. Um, so we never have a problem getting top notch speakers. And I also have to say, this is for, we've had people with no college education. They've only been through high school. We've had people with two master's degree. Right now we have two veterans. We have um, two people that are in law school. We have a, a lawyer. We've had a doctor. We've had all kinds of different people. We have somebody this year from, who lives in Harbor Springs, way far up north, somebody who lives in Escanaba. But then there's people like, like me and Steve who live downstate. It's really a fascinating program. And um, even if you want to be elected on the local, you know, so many times we hear, oh, I just can't stand that Trump. Oh, I just don't understand what Biden's doing. Well, you know what? Here's your chance. Here's your chance to jump in. And maybe you can have an impact. And maybe you, it doesn't have to be talking at the bar or talking with your friends or family or having big arguments at Thanksgiving. Come in, learn about it, and run for office. I think, Charlie, you, you, presented to the group in the past, have you not? What has been uh, your impressions of, uh, of the program? Yeah, um, for, for many years now, I have given a presentation where I talk about um, the realities of the Michigan economy, uh, incomes and uh, earnings and our, our industrial structure. And then I talk about perceptions of um, things from the perspective of the Michigan people. Uh, uh, because another part of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research is the uh, 
state of the state survey, which I've been involved with for uh, 13 years now. And it's a, it's a public opinion poll uh, of the Michigan adult population. And um, it, I, I talk about trends in terms of approval of the, <clears throat> excuse me, approval of the president and the governor and people's uh, views of their, uh, their household financial condition. And, and every time that I have given this presentation, I have found the MPLP fellows to be highly engaged, uh, really uh, good questions, good conversation. It's a, it, every year it's been a, an outstanding group of, of people and it's been a pleasure for me to, um, to interact with them. Steve, you mentioned, and, and Susie, uh, the annual dinner, which usually takes place at, at the end of March in person. We usually get about 500 people uh, to the dinner, and, and, you know, the program's done a great job at the dinner, much like it's done as a program, and, you know, bringing in typically in person, you know, we have one uh, high-profile Republican, one high-profile Democrat, and uh, it really exemplifies the program. We're doing it a little differently this year. You want to talk about that for a minute? Sure. So, um, in honor of our 30th class, um, we decided to do one event rather than one in Southeast Michigan and one in Grand Rapids. Um, we're, we were just going to be in Lansing. This was going to be in March, um, but because of COVID, we kicked it to a virtual event in October, so it'll be um, uh, accessed virtually. Um, and we've gotten one speaker instead of one from each side, so somebody in the middle. Uh, Larry Sabato, who is a government professor and the head of Real Clear Politics. I had the privilege of being a student of uh, Dr. Sabato's um, back in 1989, uh, if you can count the years, as a freshman at the University of Virginia, Careful, teaching his, his politics class. And uh, he must have had some kind of effect, uh, both in terms of uh, bipartisanship and, uh, and giving me the bug of politics. Um, but he'll be speaking, he'll be interviewed by uh, uh, Lansing reporter Tim Skubik, and, uh, and we will also have some profiles of our very distinguished alumni, including uh, Aaron Payment, who's one of our first alum alumna, and he is the head of the Sault Ste. Marie Chippewa tribe, which is the largest tribe in the state of Michigan. It's a, an elected position. He has to campaign for that, uh, and he has been elected uh, numerous times as the tribal leader for the Sault Ste. Marie Chippewa. So MPLP alums uh, not only make up a little more than 10% of the Michigan legislature, you find them in all levels of government, including in our uh, local tribes. Yes, I did not, this has been a learning experience because I did not know that Steve B Tabachman was even born yet in 1989. <laughs> I know. Okay. Me, there you have it. Me, me either. I mean, it's a sad thing, but, um, but actually it was his recommendation. This guy that we have coming, uh, this, this Sabato, I mean, he has been on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. I mean, he has covered the waterfront. He's been on both sides of the aisle himself in terms of uh, where he appears and makes his presentation. He actually has his own um, pr predictions that he makes. And uh, he has predicted about 99% of the time correctly. He's going to be telling us who he thinks is going to win the presidential election in Michigan. And he's also going to talk about the U.S. Senate race, which is a real hot one right now in Michigan. And um, w we think people are really going to enjoy it. In fact, we think they're going to enjoy it so much that we made the day after he appears uh, our deadline to apply to MPLP <laughs> for fellows because we think it's going to inspire 
many people to um, rethink about maybe running for office. Well, Susie, why don't you give us that uh, address again for people to apply and get more information? Okay, here it is. It's a long one. I'm sorry. And it's got a lot of, of vowels and consonants. I-P-P-S-R, I-P-P-S-R dot M-S-U dot E-D-U. I-P-P-S-R dot M-S-U dot E-D-U. And please, please apply. I mean, we would love to have you because Steve and I really get more out of it than probably our students because we just love doing this. It's a, it's a, it's a labor of love for us. I mean, my, my political career has been a lot of fun. And as you heard from um, Arnold, um, I apparently could not hold the job very long because I kept getting other things. Uh, but um, it has been a great career. Steve and I have really enjoyed politics a lot and we love, we just love MPLP. Well, you two definitely make a great team and uh, appreciate you both being here uh, today to share uh, the story of MPLP and uh, events coming up and how, how people can get, uh, get involved. Uh, it's, it is a great program. As been noted, it's one of the only nonpartisan programs run through Michigan State University's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. So thank you again both for being here today. Thanks. Charlie, Thanks, that's Charlie. about- Thanks, Arnold. Yeah, you bet. Charlie, that's about uh, all the time we have here today. Uh, any, any final thoughts on the economy or, or, or the election? Well, I, I guess um, everybody uh, miscalled the election four years ago. Uh, that tells you that we do not have a perfect crystal ball. And uh, that is certainly true for the economy now because uh, there's always uncertainty associated with the interaction of businesses and, and individuals and, and, and government policy in terms of the, uh, how the economy evolves. But with the huge uncertainty about the evolution of the uh, coronavirus, um, uh, predicting the future is even tougher than, than it usually is. And so that's why I'm glad that we're going to have another one of these podcasts next month, because by that gonna, time, we'll know more. Right. I was just going to say, so we'll have plenty to talk about again next month. And uh, that is all the time we have on this edition of State of the State. My thanks again to Russ White and the staff at WKAR for their support of this program. And as Charlie noted, join us again next month on State of the State. And to hear the conversation again, visit the MSU Today section at WKAR.org.